we're talking about the uncontrollable sin, uh, coveting. And week to week, as by way of review, we're trying to establish some foundational things so that when we think about coveting, things that we might be mindful of biblically, a couple of things. Number one, um, coveting counts. And it is Jesus who brought coveting and put it back on the table with respect to something to be able something to focus on for a while. Coveting was kind of brushed off to the side because it's very difficult for us to control our behavior. It's, it's even more difficult to control thoughts and feelings. But what Jesus said, he said, you have heard that it was said long to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. We tend to think of obedience and we think of behaviors. You know, so don't murder anybody. What Jesus did, he he validated, yeah, don't murder anyone. But if anger is there, then that constitutes a violation of that commandment. Would you agree with me that it's much easier not to kill somebody than it is to try to control anger? That's what we've got to figure out. How do we control something that feels uncontrollable? All of us experience anger at some point. And that's why we're talking about the uncontrollable sin. He didn't just talk about that. Look what he said. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just enough to control sexual behavior. You have to control thoughts. Jesus then ended up making coveting count. It's not just what we do, it's what we think and feel. Would you agree with me? That's a lot more difficult to control thoughts and feelings. Um, not only, well, not only is, does coveting count, but Jesus seems to indicate that coveting is uncontrollable. Look what he says. I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. It seems important to think about, and again, by way of review, that what Paul says, when God says, don't think this or that, or you'll be judged. Saying don't do it actually creates the thoughts and attitudes that we're supposed to be controlling. So it leads to a question. If covenant counts and covenant is uncontrollable, how do we control an uncontrollable sin? And we're talking about how to manage it. And there's five things we're going to talk about. Be real. We're talking about be still. Today, we'll talk about speak freely. Then the next coming weeks, we'll talk about waiting perseveringly and responding gently. Let's take them one at a time. And just by way of review, uh, be real. It's logical to have second thoughts about being honest with God. The whole the Old Testament gives us a bunch of reasons. People who, because they committed sin, were wiped out. Uh, however, with respect to encouraging us to be real, um, the new covenant changes the ground rules that God operates by. In the old covenant, he said, obey and you'll be blessed. Disobey and you'll be cursed. It's not possible to control thoughts and feelings when the threat of punishment hangs over your head. He changed then the ground rules by 
which he operates. And the, he, what he asks us to believe is that God is helios to our unrighteousnesses. What that means, that when we do something, he doesn't condemn it. And it's one thing, would you agree, to know that. It's another thing completely to believe it in our heart. It's the, the journey from this to this, what, 18 inches or something like that, is a significant journey with respect to spirituality. Not only are we to know that he doesn't condemn, but we're to believe it in our heart. And to the degree we believe it is the degree to which we can be more real with God. It's very difficult to be real and vulnerable with somebody we're afraid of. Would you agree with me? That's why learning over time, this is not easy, over time to have our thoughts of God begin to shift a little bit will create a greater capacity to be real with God. And this is important. He says a couple of things. Look what it says. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only God. And then it goes on and says, this is the verdict. The verdict is a judgment. It's what it's God being at a judge's bench and telling us what he really does judge. If he doesn't judge our behavior, what does he judge? And that it goes on to talk about this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, cue in here. I know we've talked about it, but by way of review, Reviewing is a way for it to move from here to here. What it says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Okay, and we've, we've talked about, so it's what Jesus is saying. Here's the judgment. Everybody who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light because he's afraid his deeds will be exposed. So the thought would be, well, okay, then all you have to do is just don't do evil things and, and the problem solved, right? But that's not the solution because we can't control the things we need to control in order to escape judgment. If you're going to escape judgment, you have to control not only your behaviors, but your thoughts. Would you agree with me that it's much more difficult to, to control a thought? If we need to control our thoughts, in order to come into God's presence. What's going to be the problem? We'll never get to the place where we're enough in control to enter God's presence. It just can't happen. That's why what God wants us to know and believe is that, as he said, God's not judging the world. He didn't come to judge it, but to condemn it. So this guy who's hiding in the darkness and has a hard time coming into God's light does he have a behavior problem, or does he have a deeper problem, a belief problem? And what's this guy? It's a belief problem. He doesn't believe in the no condemnation that Jesus came to proclaim. Um, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might seem plainly what he has been done has been done through God. Jesus 
also talked about these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know what we end up doing when we, and to the degree we struggle to believe that we are not condemned, and all of us struggle with it. But when we have trouble believing that God is accepting of us, we tend to hide from him the things we feel are less acceptable. You know, so when we come to God, we say what we think he wants to hear. God, thank you so much for today and for the one, you know, and it's okay. Thank God for the warmth and thank him for good things. But what we tend to do is we tend to not be honest with him. We say right things to God rather than real things. Now, that's normal. That's normal, but it's a problem because you know the deal? God sees the things we're withholding from him. I want you to listen to me and get my spirit here. God's not angry, but what he's saying is, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding from me? Why are you withholding the truth from me? When you come to the Bible, we have to, we bring our attitudes into the Bible. When in the, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, God asks Adam a question, he says, where are you? Now, the problem with black and white on pieces of paper is that we don't know the emotion that was behind it. So he says three words, where are you? And those three words, when people read, we give them different emotion. Now, to some, where are you? And that's what it was, you know, God with a machete. <laughs> I don't think that's it. You know what I think it was? Where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? And again, Adam and Eve, they might have reason, but God sent his son into will not to condemn the world. And you know what God says to us? Where are you? Where are you? I know you come. Part of yourself comes, but you won't be as honest with me as I know. I know there's thoughts and feelings in there, and I want you to be real with me. And then be real, and then be still. It says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Be real, be still. Talked about what it means to be still. It actually comes from a Hebrew word pronounced rafa. So when it says be still and know, in Hebrew, it's rafa. And as we talked about, rafa means to hang limp. And with respect to let your arms hang limp at your side. And we experienced it. Again, try it again. It's very odd. It really feels creepy. Let your arms hang limp at your side. Go ahead. It feels strange. This would be really strange if everything were falling apart, which is what happens in the song. Okay, you can stop. It's kind of creepy. It's, if everything's falling apart, this is not the attitude that we would normally, it's not the reaction that we would normally have. That's um, what it says. In response to things, it says, cease striving. Be real and be still. There is a, uh, the word for emotions comes from a Latin word, e motore. Motore is motor. You know what emotions are? 
something that gets us moving. Something gets us moving. That's what emotions do. They stimulate activity. If we are afraid, we run away, we fight or flight. And you know what God's telling us to do? To learn to do a very unnatural reaction. At some point, you're going to do something and fix it, but don't do it first. What God says and what he encourages, I want you to be real with me, and I want you to be still. There's thoughts and feelings you have. And everything within you is going to want to run and fix something or run and run away from something. I don't want you to run away just now. Part of us says, don't just sit there, do something. You know what God says? Don't just do something, sit there. Sit there. And you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to think about him, to reflect on two things. Reflect on his goodness and reflect on his greatness. But it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God wants us to look at his greatness, his power. Because when everything is going haywire, we tend to think everything's spiraling out of control. And what God wants us to look at is to look at him. And you know what? God's not biting his nail. He's, you know what God says to you? In the middle of things falling apart, be honest and be still. And I want you to know this. I'm going to win in the end, and I'm not worried. God wants you to know, I don't care who's in public office. I don't care if they're a Democrat or a Republican. Okay, now there's things to be concerned about, but there's war here and there's something to be concerned about. But ultimately what God wants us to do, he wants us to get involved. But first he says, stop. I want you to think about something. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on the earth. In the end, I'm going to win. Think about his greatness. Not only think about his greatness, also think about his goodness. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We're threatened by things. There's people who are threatened. What God wants us to think about, I want you to look at me, God says. Look at me. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on the earth. And if I, and I promise you, I will never leave you. I will never cast you adrift. Literally what it means, I will not untie you and let you float down the river of fate. The scary things God said, I will never cast you adrift. And I will never leave you behind. They're scary things. I want you to look at my greatness and my goodness. The fact is, you're going to land in a good place because God's going to win and God's going to be good to those who believe in him. Very difficult to just, just to kind of breathe and be still, but be real, be still, and then speak freely. That's what it says. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. But we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It has been for a while. It really says a lot of stuff. 
says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Says Jesus understands. If you've had somebody yell at you and be angry at you, it feels lousy. You know what Jesus says to you? I understand exactly how that feels. To have people all the time want to trip you up, catch you in something you want to say. What he wants us to understand is that he gets it. He sympathizes with us. God's big and powerful, and his son came in order to understand what we deal with. Um, It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. You know what the difference between the Old Testament of the Bible and the New Testament of the Bible is? Before Jesus comes on the scene, and after he comes on the scene, the biggest difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I can distill to one word. Any idea what that word's going to be? What is it that is included all the time in the New Testament, but not all the time in the Old? What do you think it is? You know what it is? I'm going to tell you. Sympathy. Divine sympathy. Not a lot of divine sympathy in the first 39 books. Some is some are there. In the last 27 books, it is everywhere. And Jesus reveals what God is like deeply. In the Old Testament, it veils God's face. In the New Testament, God's face is unveiled. And guess what? God's face is sympathetic. And if we realize God's face is sympathetic, you know what we can do? And again, this is hard to do. Little by little, we can be real, be still, and speak freely. It's easier to speak some freely to someone who understands and sympathizes. I want you to think about somebody who's sympathetic. Think about somebody that when you talk to them, you sense that they understand There's not a lot of walls. There's not a lot of judgment. Can you think of that person? I want you to think of a person. Do you see them? When you're sitting with that person, it's easier to be real, isn't it? It's easier to be still. It's easier to speak freely. Can you think of the person? Because you don't feel judged. You feel that they understand. In fact, you can't wait to talk to them because you have all this stuff done up and you can't wait if you have this friend and you've come to depend on them, that you can't wait to sit down and be with somebody who's not going to judge you for saying, you know what, I had a bad day. And they're not going to say, what's wrong with you? They're going to say, tell me about it. This is going to surprise you. This is what God is like. And he wants us not just to know it, but to really, so when we do, we can be real and be still. Um, when it says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, that word confidence, that's another word, Rafa. You remember what Rafa means? To hang limp? That's a Hebrew word. So you can say, yeah, I know a Hebrew word. I learned a Hebrew word at church today, Rafa. Hey, pretty cool. <laughs> 
But now I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to, you're going to learn a New Testament word, parousia. 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 It's, it's the, the word translated confidence. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence is not a great translation. It just doesn't capture what's the word. Parousia is boldness, confidence, frankness, openness of speech. What it's saying, approach the throne of grace and speak freely. That's what the word means. It's not just an invitation to enter God's presence, but to speak freely with you when you're, but for you to speak freely with him when you're there. Um, This is what God commands of us. Again, I just want us to, just to consider this. God isn't being stern, but he's being direct. This isn't nice. God's not saying, okay, you can come and say everything to me. Being very direct, he's saying, if you're my son and my daughter, I want to encourage you, and I want you to learn to come to the throne of grace and speak freely with me. It's hard to do. Again, in places where to understand little by little that that is what God wants to speak freely. It hasn't always been this way. Look what it says. We know that whatever the law says, and it's talking about the law of Moses in the first 39 books of the Bible, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. Do you know what happens when somebody says, law, do this or else? You know what law does? It causes us to be silenced. Law doesn't help you to speak freely. That's why God doesn't relate to us via an old covenant. He relates to us via a new. And when we understand this and know it and begin to believe it, you know what starts to happen? Again, it's little by little. I want you to listen to me. This doesn't happen all at once. If you're saying, Mike, I can't talk to God. I get that. But little by little, all we're doing is we're looking at what the end of the road looks like. You have to know the destination God wants you to bring to in order to make progress there. What God wants us to learn is to not be silenced, but to speak freely with him about what we think and feel, about what we want. Now, he might not always give us what we want, but presenting our thoughts and feelings to him is part of controlling the uncontrollable sin. Be real, be still, speak freely. I want to deal with a couple questions as we close. Why don't we do this? Why don't we speak freely with God? It's awkward, hard to learn. Some of us, we could speak freely with God when we were kids. Remember that? Remember the prayers you used to pray when you were kids? Mom would come in, and you'd pray by the bedside, and you'd pray together, and you'd pray for Grandma and Grandpa. And you'd... What happens when we grow up? What happens? We start to do things we're ashamed of. Kids don't feel that as much. Then we make mistakes. We grow up. We cross lines. We hurt people. 
We can't control our temper. We act out sexually. We do things that we're ashamed of. And then we think of entering God's presence and can't do it anymore. Can't. We can't be real with him anymore. We've grown up too much. We can't be, can't be still. We can't speak freely with him. Um, what do we deal with? I'm going to suggest three things. Pretense, fear, and shame. You know why we don't speak freely with God? Pretense. We don't say what is real. We say the right things. Again, praise God. Thank him. But sometimes we just do praise and thanks, and we're not honest. It's like we think that if we, we have these thoughts and feelings underneath, and we think if we just say nice things to God, that he'll look past the nice things. He'll look at the nice things. But he, and you know what God's saying? Okay, I, I see the things you're saying to me. But I see the things underneath. I see the anger. Why don't you talk to me about the anger? Like, Why don't you come into my presence and say, God, thanks for my parents. Thanks for my friends. But I'm really angry with them right now. You know what God would say? Good. Good. I want you to learn to speak freely with me. But we don't, because we pretend. We kind of make everything nice. And everything's not nice. Pretense. Fear. Unless you're afraid of God. Well, you see what happened in the Old Testament, and we're not going to be honest with them. Fear and shame. This verse is, I really like this verse. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know what that means? What does God know about you? What does that say? Keep shaking it, Mike. I could read it. You know what God knows about you? Everything. Here's a question. If God knows everything, does it make sense to pretend? Does it, does it? He knows everything. You know what he wants you to think about? Think about what he knows. He already knows it. Don't pretend with him. Okay? So, uh, but pretense is a deal. Remember the second thing? Fear. It says, we do not have a high priest. Let me tell you about high priests. A high priest is God's ordained professional at dealing with sinners. That's what he does. That's what he does. If you don't have any sin to deal with, you have no business with a high priest. That's what God created the high priest for. So you know what that means? We're afraid that, oh boy, if I become real with God, he's going to get, no, he's a high priest. But, so do you remember what he knows? What does he know? Everything. And when he, you understand what he knows, you don't need to pretend. What is he? He is a high priest. And when you understand who he is, you don't need to be afraid. Because when you come and say, God, you know what? I did that, did this, did that. God's not going to go, oh, my goodness, boy, get out. No, he's going to say, okay, now we're dealing with it. Because that's what a high priest does. Pretense, fear. You remember the third one? Shame. You know what shame is? Here's what shame looks like. I did something, and I don't want to look in your eyes. You know why I don't want to look in your eyes? Because I'm afraid that when I look in your eyes, you know what I'm going to see? I'm going to see this. 
contempt. I can't believe you thought that. This is why we're ashamed. We're afraid we're going to be treated contemptuously. What it says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. The deal is, when you find, you remember that person who sympathizes with you? Remember it? Can you, can, you, can you see her, him? Have you ever seen them do uh, disgust? Not very often. Otherwise, they wouldn't be the one you thought about. Um, when you understand how he feels, you don't need to be ashamed. Um, pretense, fear, and shame. When you understand what he knows, you don't have to pretend. When you understand who he is, you don't have to be afraid. When you understand how he feels, you don't have to be ashamed. Okay, one more question. So how do I practice this? Very practically. Um, Speak freely. I would suggest you could practice doing two things. Um, Exhale your concerns and inhale his commitments. You know what happens with inhale and exhale? It's kind of good to do both of them. I want you to do this with me. Ready? I'm going to tell you to do something, and I want you to keep on doing it. Ready? Okay? Exhale. (laughs) Okay, you know, you can't exhale and not inhale. Okay, try the outside. Inhale. You know, what, what am I doing? You have to exhale in, inhale. <laughs> you know, that's, that goes easier, doesn't it? Exhale, inhale. I suggest exhale your concerns and inhale his commitments. Exhale your concerns, inhale his commitments. God, I'm concerned about where we are politically. I'm concerned about who is and isn't in office. Thank you that you're in control and you cause everything to work together for good. You know what? And if you practice that, even I'm not saying don't do it for an hour, do it for a minute when you walk, when you wake up, because little by little, it'll go from here to here. And little by little, it'll get easier. You'll find it, but you got to, I want you to listen to me. You have to practice this. It's not going to come natural. You know what comes natural? This is natural. Hiding. Speaking freely is not natural. We're doing three things that we're to do in order to try to deal with coveting. Be real, be still, and speak freely. Those are the three main things. And the next week, we'll talk about Waiting perseveringly and responding gently. And that's the the result of doing these first three things. We'll talk about them next week. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, so we get this sense that uh, pretense, fear, and shame keep us from coming to you. And you want us to be mindful of what you know. You know everything, so we don't need to pretend. You want us to be mindful of who you are. Jesus is a high priest. So we don't need to be afraid. 
we, we want us to be mindful of how Jesus feels. He sympathizes, so we don't have to be ashamed. And you want us to understand this so that we can, little by little, be real with you. And be still and reflect on your greatness and your goodness. And so we can speak freely. I pray little by little you help us to exhale our concerns and inhale your commitments. Not that we don't act, but before we rush off and act, exhale and inhale. Help us to make progress little by little in Jesus' name. Amen.